you got to trust your gut. Is your gut analytics? Is your gut eyeball feel what's in your heart? I don't think they have to be competing. You know, a lot of people make it very competing, like, oh, he's an analytics guy or he's a gut feel guy. They all have their strengths. For me, I'm more gut feel. I'm what my eyeballs are telling me. I'm reading the room. You know, I'm reading the energy of our team, you know, to make certain decisions. But I'm a big believer in analytics because I don't always want to just trust my eyes and my gut, you know, because there can be a stubbornness to either direction. Oh, analytics, they're the be all end all, or your gut's the be all end all. There's not one way to do basketball, to live basketball, to play basketball. I'm Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, Taylor Jenkins. Coach Jenkins is here today to discuss the importance of organization and efficiency as a head coach, the balance of analytics and gut feel, and we talk adjusted plus minus, and manipulating tags during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches, one of the best ways to help support what we do is by becoming a member of SG+. We now have coaches and staffs from over 40 different countries who are happy to call members, and they get access to SGTV's over 500 detailed breakdown video library by both ourselves and coaches like Stan Van Gundy, Ryan Pannone, Martin Schiller, Josh Schertz, and many more, as well as the weekly deep dive newsletter, access to a private coaching community, and much more. For more information, email us at info at slappingglass.com or visit slappingglass.com to sign up today. Thanks for the support. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Taylor Jenkins. Coach, thank you very much for making some time. I know you're in the busy part of preseason, so we're excited to talk to you today. No, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Love talking basketball, love talking hoops, everything that surrounds it on the floor, off the floor. Really excited to spend some time with you all today and have a great conversation. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Coach. We definitely are as well. And Coach, we want to dive right in with your thoughts on organization and efficiency within all parts of your organization. And there's a lot of things as a head coach that you obviously touch and have control over and think about. And so we'll start broadly with just your thoughts on being organized, being efficient, and how it kind of helps all the different parts of your organization. It's funny that you start off with that because that's kind of one of my calling cards. Family, friends, colleagues, Memphis Grizzlies, other staffs have been a part of. That's probably one of my biggest strengths, sometimes to a fault, sometimes my organizational (laughs) skills. That's kind of what I'm known for. But, you know, you bring up two good points. I mean, you know, these are words that get thrown around a lot. They're buzzwords. What does organization mean? What does efficiency mean? I think it applies not just in your professional life, but your personal life for sure. You know, for us here in Memphis, you know, our organization is built out of people. Obviously, myself as the head coach at Climbing, you know, our GM, you know, we spent a lot of time together, you know, with an intentional process of who we bring in. And through that, you know, we build up our processes. How do departments collaborate with each other? How does the coaching staff work with the performance staff, not just the front office to the coaching staff? How do we work with our chef crew, our, our equipment managers, our travel support team, our security team? There's a lot that goes on in an organization. And as leaders of organization, 
It's about spending time with people, building relationships, understanding you know how we've got to empower you know our colleagues to thrive in their areas. You know, obviously, we're hiring the best coaches we can find, the best chefs we can find, the best trainers we can find, the best scouts we can find all throughout the organization. And at the center of it, we've got a vision. You know, we ultimately want to win championships, but how do we every single day just talk about that's the ultimate goal, but what's going to drive our behaviors and our decisions every single day? That's that organizational piece that we talk about. You know, it's the informal meetings and the formal meetings to sit down and kind of drive behind all the decisions we're making for the benefit of our players, the benefit of the coaching staff every single time. You know, we meet and decisions we have to make going into games. You know, I keep referencing my performance team and our chef team, all they do to help train our players to be the best that they can be. We literally sit down, we create a round table, we meet frequently. Sometimes it's organic, it's before and after practices or games. Sometimes it's, you know, once or twice a month, we set aside time, you know, just, you know, get away from the game and practice environment and really just dive in further about, you know, how's everything going? You know, are, are we taking stock of all the things that are going well, not going well? That's organizational piece. There's definitely a lot of strings attached. It's building relationships, spending time together. And, you know, efficiency is a big thing. You know, we obviously strive for that, you know, with our players, you know, how are we getting the best shots possible? How are we making the best decisions possible? And that's rep, that's practice. And that's really understanding what we call like our roadmap to success. We have a roadmap to success as an organization. You know, what's our guiding principles and, and our guiding goals. And then the same thing, you know, with our decision-making, you know, on the floor, the same thing applies there. So that's kind of how we shape it up. We could probably spend hours and hours and hours talking about this, but at its core, that's kind of what drives our behaviors every single day to try to be as most successful as possible. Coach, one of the things... I'm always interested in with coaches like at your level that have so many people under them, like you just mentioned, when you talk about, you know, efficiency being kind of like a calling card of yours, is it because you think about being efficient in all areas as much as you can, or is it that you feel like you've gotten better at deciding what few core values to the organization to be efficient in and other things that don't matter, you delegate or you find other ways to leave that stuff out so that you can be efficient in the things that really matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the inherent challenge and opportunity that we're all faced with, regardless of what industry or role that you have. At the end of the day, we talk about simplifying our game plan, you know, for our players and our team so they can go out there and just be as free as possible, play hard, but know our core principles. You know, what are the things that we can always hold them accountable to? You know, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, we spent all summer coming up with all these grand ideas and what's the trends of the league and, you know, what were our strengths and our weaknesses. But again, what are our core principles that we got to focus on so that we can give our players that roadmap to be successful? But we also have to be open minded. You know, even though we have these principal tenants that are going to provide those efficiencies for us, you know, we want to take the right shots. We want to make the right rotations on the defensive side to help the defensive and offensive numbers, you know, at the end of the day in our performance, we've got to give a lot of thought, you know, and that's hard during the season, you know, with a rapid pace of 82 games one after the other. But luckily with the staff that I'm surrounded by the role delegation that I give everyone, you know, they have autonomy to go out there and be thinking about these things at a higher level so that we can come back together in season, but especially out of season, come up with new ways to become better. Efficiency is a word, as I said, a moment ago, gets thrown around all the time. And I think we all have to recognize there's so many dribbles you can make before you can get a shot up. There's so many hours in a day you can invest time in to make the most critical decisions. You got to have your guiding principles, collect all the information out there, and then you know beat it up as much as possible, but then really strip it down and going, is this really going to impact winning? So that's kind of what we focus on in our you know day-to-day operations. And luckily, our players have bought into that, but we're always striving for even better. Coach, 
looking at organization, but now on the court. And right now you're in the middle of preseason when you guys actually have time to really practice. I'd love to hear how you think about organizing a practice and being efficient in practice. That's been a fun process the last couple of years. You know, I come in my rookie season as a head coach and your head spinning and you're trying to instill, you know, a system, you know, offensively, defensively, but also how you work, you know, every single day from your player development to your performance spaces and training spaces. But, you know, what we finally got to the point is I know I keep referencing this roadmap to success is, you know, there's so much stuff that goes on in a basketball game. I mean, how many hundreds of possessions, shots, you know, you can track everything nowadays. But we try to give our guys an understanding of, you know, these are the things that we believe in offensively and defensively that we can actually stat and track to show progress or regression that we can also back up with our film so that we can always hold you guys accountable to it. But then also where are we actually getting the physical reps, not just the mental and theoretical reps and watching film and looking at numbers. But when we approach practice, like your question, you know, training camp, start with defense, flow throughout all of defense. How's our transition defense? How's our man-to-man defense, our rotational defense as a team? You know, where's our pick and roll, you know, and situational defense, off-ball post-ups? And then how does that then translate after a rebound into offensive strategy, our running habits, our motion spacing, our half-court execution, and getting those quality shots? That's all built out of looking at that roadmap saying, these are the you know, six to eight things that we're going to prioritize defensively and offensively that we're also going to drill. This is why we're going to stat transition defense and this, you know, this metric here. Well, this is what we're going to emphasize and how we teach our habits defensively in transition. Offensively, shot quality is a big thing for us, you know, taking steps in a more efficient direction. Well, this is why in your vitamins, your individual workouts, we're going to stress getting to the rim more and being a better playmaker with better spacing out to the three-point line so we can have better shot selection. And once we're knocking those down, our numbers are going to improve. It's a fun process because it's not just all about practice. You know, we emphasize a lot on film, but it's good for our guys to understand the numbers behind what they're doing and why they're putting all this work in individually and as a team that they can see the progress because we can just show the film over and over again and say, great, 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 or not so good, not so good, not so good. But let's show something and put some rankings up there and show some margin of growth or margin of, you know, regression. And then that guides us in our practices. Hey, we're struggling in this area. Let's spend some more time on these drills that our guys can then say, ah, that's why, because that's one of our key principles, defensively or offensively. It's been a fun process the last two years because I think it also, when you talk about the organizational piece, it gives us coaches knowing that there's endless things you can do in a game. There's endless things you can do from a preparation standpoint. How are we going to simplify it so that our guys understand these are the things that matter to winning? This is our calling card. This is our identity defensively and offensively. When we're doing it well, do it better. When we're not doing so well, do it better. And it backs it up with the film and the practice. And as I said, the mental and physical reps, it's been fun, you know, for everyone jumping on board, but it definitely as a head coach helps me make the best decisions possible to know on a day-to-day basis, what does our team need to work on? I believe earlier when you're talking about the roadmap to success, you mentioned just being efficient in your decision-making players and their decision-making. So I guess following up again, kind of how are you marrying the mental and the, the physical or on the court aspects to help their players be more efficient in their decision-making. I think one of the best parts of that, you know, the bridge between that mental and physical is conversation. You know, this year we've spent a lot of time on, you know, I just mentioned a moment ago, like, how do we take less floaters and mid-range? It's the elephant in the room, you know, for the Memphis Grizzlies. We've, we're on a historical rate right now. And somehow we still are a top five offense because we rebound so well, you know, we run so well, but to really have sustainability, you know, as a successful offense and taking that next step, We've had to dive into open conversations. 
saying, you know, here are the areas of the floor that we need to attack more. Here's what generates, you know, more efficient shots, get into the rim, more free throws. This is what puts the team, you know, our opposition in rotations to create more threes. We got to be willing and able to do that. And at the core of that, I try to, you know, empower all of our guys to be playmakers. It doesn't matter if you're the point guard, it doesn't matter if you're the five man. In any given situation, if we're doing what we're supposed to do from a pace standpoint, running up the floor, spacing well, attacking downhill, we're going to create chances for our offense. And then doing the mathematical equation and sitting down and educating our guys on what does efficiency mean? Well, there's this easy notion of, well, twos are less valuable than threes. Well, let's put some percentages behind it. Well, what if you're shooting 90% you know, from the two-point range? Well, maybe we don't take that away from you. Well, what's a 35%, 37% three-point shooter compared to a 43% mid-range shooter? Let's do that math. And taking that step from a conversation standpoint, just plant those seeds in the mind so that at the end of the day, when guys are drilling it, watching the film, we show them the opportunities to make a play. This is an opportunity to take this shot, maybe go deeper and get to the rim, kick out for a three. Let's talk about that. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Because again, as a coach, I'm not the one playing out there. I'm not the one out there seeing the defenses. So really engaging in healthy dialogues to understand what are our players understanding and grasping, maybe struggling in. Well, let's take it from the film and actually get on the court and get those reps and simulate those situations. And then at the end of the day, back it up with the numbers and say, this is where now that you've put the work in, we've made strides or, you know, what's not working for us. Let's maybe think about this a little bit differently, but a lot of time and investment in presenting that game plan. But then at the end of the day, I'm a big believer of having those conversations with players because they've got a lot of decisions to make out there on the floor and we need them to play super hard. But if we're really going to take that next step as a team, it's not just offensively, you know, your efficiencies on the defensive end, you know, how are you protecting the paint, taking away the three-point line, taking away the free throw line, what shots are going to give up? I like to mirror it. What we want to do offensively, we want to take away defensively. But when our players can grasp that, it's pretty easy where they're going possession to possession. They can speak the same language, take away the rim, get to the rim, take away the three, get to the three, stop fouling, get to the foul line. Like all that stuff goes hand in hand. And those are fun conversations because when the players embrace that, put the work into it, you get a successful product out there and performance. Coach, when you're looking at these numbers, how do you differentiate or what determines if it's maybe a tactical issue with something that you as a staff need to think about adjust versus, yeah, it's just, hey, we got to work on this shot with this player and get him some reps in individual. Oh, man, that's the duality that you got to focus on. Is it something team concept based? Is it something that the individual themselves can correct? And, you know, you don't have to do anything schematically differently, you know, defensively or offensively, right? one-on-one defense versus rotational defense or one-on-one playmaking versus ah, spacing's got to be different to give outlets for a guy. So it's a lot of time, you know, it's watching a lot of film as a staff. You know, that's why I reference my staff so much. I mean, when we sit down and we plan out practice and we watch film, you know, we may be watching the same clips five different times and we know what we're going to eventually address with our team, but we start sparking new ideas. Like why was that decision made or you know, why could that rotation been avoided or why could that foul have been avoided or that foul been created offensively? We try to think about those things. And then through that, we have that split off dialogue like you just referenced is, okay, well, yeah, you know what? We could be better in that situation because we can address that in an individual vitamin. Every player is different. Every player has different strengths and areas for improvement, just like a team. So in every position we watch as a staff, you know, every decision that was made on a given possession, we try to kind of tie it to, okay, where do we need to address this from a team standpoint, practice or film? And how do we address this individually, practice, individual work or film? That's the fun, you know, challenge of being a coach is understanding where are you going to move the needle in the right direction? And, you know, sometimes it's as easy as saying, hey, 
so-and-so needs to just get better at this, keep getting those reps, keep working on that. Maybe that's more of an emphasis in their player development than another player. They got to work on something differently. Or as a team, it's like, hey, we need to really strongly consider that it's not really personnel development based. It's more how we're teaching our system, you know, our spacing on offense or defensive rotations and coverages. That's what's the beauty of basketball. And I think y'all know that very well. There's so much that goes on in our sport and there's so much randomness. How do you simplify it? But then how do you grow within that trying to account for so many different things that are going to get thrown at you any given possession. And that's why I always come back to talking about conversations because we can sit there as coaches and try to have this great vision and watch film and think we have all the answers. And like, you know, today in our film session, I said, this topic right here, guys, I'm opening it up to y'all. Like, what are y'all seeing? What are you feeling? Like, this is what I'm thinking, but I really, and they changed my mind and they do that all the time because they're the ones out there putting their sweat and, you know, tears into it, all that stuff and their energy that if they're going to believe in it, and we're going to believe it and know that that's probably a good answer, then it's probably going to work out more times than not. Coach, you mentioned that you're trying to get rid of floaters. And I guess posing the same question, what do you guys think about floaters? And is it defining what more valuable shots are? Or like you said, is it a spacing component that how are you guys trying to solve the floaters? I wish you were in our staff meetings and our field meetings. You're just taking every, <laughs> you're, taking, you're seeing it. There's so much involved in that decision-making is what it comes down to, right? Where I don't ever want our players to feel like they're being boxed in. Like this is the decision you have to make every single time. One of my lines that I've used at all levels is there's never a right or wrong answer. There isn't. There's just maybe some that are a little bit better than others because I can't have you in your mind thinking that anytime you have to make a decision, right, wrong, and then you freeze up or you overthink it. I'm like less thinking, more doing, right? But through the practice reps and the conversations and the film, all the stuff that we stress, you're going to make that right decision more than probably the wrong one. No one pitches a perfect game offensively. No one pitches a perfect game defensively, you know, and especially from a decision-making standpoint. And it's funny because with our guys, the eyes that are in their head, where I'm like, hey, we got this elephant in the room. We're not trying to just take floaters away. It's a part of the game, you know, and we've got guys on our team that do shoot it well, but there's a trade-off and it's that understanding of, What's the value of that shot repeatedly versus maybe swapping out a few of those over the course of 48 minutes? Just change five, change seven, maybe change 10. We don't have to change all 40 of them, but maybe we get to the rim a little bit more. Maybe we get some more fouls. Maybe we find a shooter out there. So we've been having this conversation about how it's obviously on the decision maker to make that choice, right? You know, to take that next level of, is this the best decision? Is this the more right answer on this play? But then it's also incumbent on everyone else, the other four players that don't have the ball from a spatial standpoint, like you referenced, where I go, guys, how am I supposed to hold this player accountable to making a better decision if you're not where you're supposed to be? And that's a growth area for us is, you know, better awareness from a spacing standpoint that your spacing is going to open up a better shot for your teammate, but your better spacing is also going to open up a better passing opportunity for your teammate. And I've already seen strides in just a week's time you know, we have a super unselfish team, you know, tops in the league and assists. So the ball's going to move. Now we're just saying, can the ball move to the right areas a little bit more? And are we just trading out a few possessions that we can take back and go, ah, let's swap that shot out for another playmaking opportunity. We're already unselfish to get a better shot. That's going to really enhance our offense more. That's going to make us even harder to guard. And that's just the growth. You know, we're at this great opportunity now where, hey, history has shown that we've done some things well, but we've got one glaring area you know, potentially offensively that we can get a whole lot better at. And the line I've used is it's not about reinventing, it's about recalibrating. It's on everybody, all five guys. That's how we build our team. You know, anybody can be a playmaker, as I've already said. 
John Morant's got a high usage. Tyus Jones got high usage. You know, Desmond Bain's going to take a huge growth, but I expect Steven to be a playmaker. I expect Jared to be a playmaker. Dylan to be a playmaker. Brandon Clark to be a playmaker. Zaire, Jitty, I go down the roster. That's how we drill it too. It's not just John making the play every single time, you know? So that's what I love about our group and their willingness to sit there and have that tough conversation. And you should see the smiles on their faces going up. I knew this was coming. This is what coaches have <laughs> talked about all summer. But now we back it up with this is the film that we've shown before, but now we've had that deeper conversation and hopefully a deeper understanding. It's not going to change overnight, but now we're going to emphasize some drills a little bit differently. Maybe we do a little bit different scoring system to emphasize something defensively and offensively, why the rim matters, why corner threes matter, why the free throw line matters. So just part of our evolution. We're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms, Hoopsalytics, a high-powered, affordable, an easy-to-use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available. Unlike other systems, Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you through video link stats, interactive shot charts, and other tools. Zero programming is required. For a free trial and to receive a 25% discount on the product, visit Hoopsalytics.com dot com slash glass that's hoopsalytics.com slash glass and now back to our conversation coach this has been amazing thanks for all your thoughts we want to transition now to a segment we call start sub or sit we'll give you three different topics ask you to start one sub one sit one and then go from there after you give us your answer so we're going to kind of stick on the analytics efficiency theme a little bit with this first question and the theme of this first question is less is more or players don't really need to know. So I'm going to give you three different types of analytics that may be better for the coaches more than the players. So start would be the one that they really don't need to know. All right. So start, sub, or sit. Their shot quality data or analytics around their shot quality, the PPP of certain actions that they're in, or the third option is their adjusted plus minus. If I'm sitting one of those, that's the one that the players need to hear the most. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, let's see here. I'm probably going to start the PPP. Okay. I'm going to sub the shot quality, and then I'm going to sit the adjusted plus minus. Okay. Coach, I'd love to start with your sit, the adjusted plus minus. So in this question, that would be the one that you would most want them to know. Yes. So with that, how do you have those conversations? What are you bringing up about their plus minuses with players individually? Well, to me, it's you always got to have a starting point. And I feel like, you know, with the adjusted plus minus, that really gives you a snapshot of like your impact on the game on and off the floor. Obviously, adjusted for so many different variables to, you know, be able to be as consistent as possible, you know, across the league. You know, I think that's just a great starting point because I mean, sometimes you just, as you said, the less is more. I think that inherently has, you can dive into the PPPs, you know, is it really a DHO? Is that really a pick and roll? Was, were you the passer, the screen, or the shooter behind it? There's so many layers to that where the adjusted plus minus tries to take into account, let's try to make this a level playing field on this metric that you can sit down and kind of just go, hey man, look at where you rank on the team from a plus minus. You can make, you know, maybe some easier comparisons league wide players that are also, you know, in that same boat. These are the top tier plus minus players. It's just a great starting point because I think then from there, you can then make the emphasis of why when you're on the floor, you make a significant impact. It's because of shot quality or PPP or, you know, defensive metrics or whatever it might be more specific categories there. And then while you're off the floor, why are we better with you off the floor? Like that shouldn't make sense. You're one of our top players or 
You're one of our best offensive players and let's kind of dive into the weeds. So I think, you know, with players, it's always good to give them a snapshot of, you know, the good, the bad, that this is where you kind of are at. This is where you kind of rank on the roster league wide, all that. And then let's now really dive in deeper on your specific player style. And maybe just following up on all three of these, because they're obviously all can be important in certain elements. And I'm sure you're, oh, yeah. Very. So it's a tough question, yeah. but we've talked a lot about analytics, efficiency, but also just like your gut feeling, the eye tests, the feeling of, you know, coaching humans and kind of having a good balance between analytics and also maybe things that you feel as a coach and as a staff. Sure. Well, I think every coach is definitely going to be different. You know, I think to use your phrase, you got to trust your gut. Is your gut analytics? Is your gut eyeball feel what's in your heart? You know, I don't think they have to be competing. You know, a lot of people make it very competing. Like, oh, he's an analytics guy or he's a gut feel guy. They all have their strengths. For me, I'm more gut feel. I'm what my eyeballs are telling me. I'm reading the room. You know, I'm reading the energy of our team, you know, to make certain decisions where I've got to, you know, what angle I got to coach from. But I'm a big believer in analytics because I don't always want to just trust my eyes and my gut, you know, because there can be a stubbornness to either direction. Oh, analytics. They're the be all end all, or your guts the be all end all. There's not one way to do basketball, to live basketball, to play basketball. So I love having as much information as possible. And I want numbers to challenge my way of thinking. I want my staff to challenge my way of thinking. We're not all saying the same thing. We're not all, you know, agreeing on the same topics or same decisions. So I like having that healthy balance for sure. So I love that conversation because you can kind of get married to one or the other. And not be open-minded to the gut. Hey, analytics say this, right? I'm watching the NFL right now and they're critiquing all the coaches about, well, the analytics drove this and that. Well, there's also a gut feel to that. But then if the gut feel doesn't work, where was the analytics weighing and all that? At the end of the day, you got to trust what you believe in to make your decisions, to coach your team. And it's not just in practices and film sessions. We're talking about heat of the moment, right? Where everyone after the fact is going to digest that all. So for me, I've got to trust my preparation of my feel for the team, how much we've invested in certain areas of development individually and as a team, that's what's going to guide us to the most successful you know, roadmap as I talk about. But then what are the analytics tell me for decisions I got to make in the game? I got to be prepared for that. And then when that game's going, you got to read the room. You got to know what your players have been doing in that moment. Have the analytics guided that? Yeah, of course, there's been decisions made. But obviously, everyone talks about the critical decisions that are made in a game, lineups, you know, or play calls or whatever it might be, you know, defensive coverages, 100%. Analytics goes into those decision makings. But in the moment, I've trusted my work and I'm going with exactly what my gut says based off of all that homework and prep that I've done. Coach, my quick follow-up has to do with shot selection and how you approach it in practice. We talked earlier about, you know, you want to encourage the right kind of shots. How are you teaching it or how are you correcting it during practice? Is it maybe with, like you said, constraints in the drills or what you value? Or are you, if a guy takes a bad shot, are you stopping and correcting or pulling off to the side? You know, what's kind of the methodology you're using? Basketball to me is a free flowing sport that you got to be very conscientious and cautious about how much you stop the game because I'm a big believer you got to learn while you're playing. That's why I invest so much time in film and those conversations that when we can die, you know, at first on the outset, this is what we believe in. This is what we think is going to be successful, this roadmap to success. And then having that conversation, right? It starts there, getting people to understand the thought process behind, okay, this is how we're going to play and what drills we're going to work on. So then now you're going to practice. Well, then there's the drill work. We try to create those situations and those reads for our guys to make it. You know, some of it's scripted for sure. You know, we're teaching them the reads once they get to certain areas, the types of shots that they create. But then at the end of the day, it's five on five. 
It's fast paced, nonstop. It's random. Every possession is different than the previous one. It's not as scripted as much as we like to want it to be at times. And then sometimes it's just interjecting. If I feel like it's a trend that we just worked on something, we just had this healthy dialogue and then we come out immediately and we do the complete opposite, I'm going to pause it. And I try to make sure I don't lose my mind. I try to be very, very conscientious of like, I'm trusting these guys with a lot of responsibility. I'm not the one playing pick and roll. I'm not the one slashing. I'm not the one gardening on the other end. I want to get them to feel that they were so invested in those conversations. They were so invested in that drill work. They were so invested in the film that when it comes time to play, it's on them to then finally give me the feedback on, what do you think? Is that really the shot that we wanted? Oh man, that's right. We just drilled that. Yeah, we've just been talking about it. And then it's on all of us, not just me or our coaches, but the players to say, yeah, man, I was open. I should have spaced better for you, right? Or I was spaced. Come on, I got you next time. And it's this relationship where they're holding each other accountable. I've got to do that too, but I'm trying to create an environment where we can have healthy dialogue in the practices and in the games. Sometimes you got to push the buttons for sure. But the more you do that, the more you stop it, the more you interject, the more you're on them about that stuff. Well, then you got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how you got to correct that because clearly the behaviors haven't been changed. But it's a delicate balance. You know, again, you got to know your audience, you got to know your team. And to me, I've got a lot of trust and faith in the conversations that we've had when we watch film together, the individual work that they're doing, the drill work we're doing, that it's starting to click. And then luckily, more often than not, our guys are doing it the right way. But when they don't, I got to pick my spots to come in there and say, hey, everyone, let's talk about this real quick. What could have happened there? And I let them answer it and drive that conversation. Now, let me be the one always saying, this is what you got to do in rules and rules and rules. We've got a guiding principle and we got a roadmap that if we follow more often than not, we're probably going to get the results and the wins that we want. Coach, talking with another coach recently about moments of truth in a season where there's a few moments during a season where potentially your better players might butt up against core principles and up to you or the staff to stand your ground or to make sure that everyone knows like how you handle those moments of truth can really you know filter into your locker room and the rest of the season. And you've worked for some great coaches in your past and obviously yourself now as a head coach. Uh, what have you learned about how great coaches handle those moments of truth that you have to take a stand as a coach to move the ship forward? I think the ones that get magnified the most are the heat of the moment ones, right? You know, all eyeballs are there, you know, players are voicing what they think, coaches are voicing what they think. And I think that's necessary at times, you know, in the heat of the moment to get to what we need to really do. But that doesn't happen in the right way, you know, that after the fact, it's not like this something that lingers in the locker room, like you talked about, frictions created. What'd you do in preparation months and weeks and years before that, from the first day that y'all came together? Did y'all build a relationship? Did you talk about how you want your relationship to navigate? Is it honesty? It's transparency. It's being able to sit down and one on one in a team environment. You know, I think Pop was the greatest example of being able to coach his star player harder than anyone else on the team. That no one got special treatment. You know, Tim Duncan was coached harder than any other player on the Spurs roster. And he's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time. And for that relationship to get built, it was because the two of them spent time together going, we're going to be leaders of this team. You know, that's the relationship I'm building with Ja, is to be able to sit down going like, how are you going to make me the best coach? And how am I going to help you and our staff help you become the best player? It's through honesty and pushing each other and having open dialogue about if you see something that you don't agree with or you don't understand, you come knock on my door and let's talk about it. And I'm putting my ego to the side. You put your ego to the side. We're trying to do this for the betterment of the team. The better the team is around you, the better you are, the better 
you know, you are, the team is the better. I am right. Like it's this fun dynamic that you see. And it's not always the case because I really think you have to have an authentic, you know, relationship at the beginning, you have to be able to sit down and talk about, and we're going to be able to have so much other great times and moments. But when we get into the heat of the battle, how are we going to attack this together? And how are we after the fact realize it ain't good enough. It's not working. Something's wrong. I'm seeing something. You're seeing something. We talk. That's why we spend a lot of time watching film as a team, but I do a lot of stuff one-on-one. I try to empower our players to be able to say, you have a voice in this. Again, I've said it multiple times already. I'm not the one out there playing and competing. If I'm suggesting something that we've talked about that we all thought was good, but it's not working, you need to look at me and say, coach, you're crazy. And let's talk about it. Because I also want to let you all know I'm receptive to that and I'm willing to change. I say it all the time. I'm not the one that has all the answers and I don't want to have all the answers because I want to be able to learn from you players and you coaches and other staff about how to build up this organization, build up our basketball system, our program, our culture, all that. That's just how I operate. There's not one way of doing things, but it's inevitable. You're going to butt heads at times. You're going to have heat of the moment conversations and flare ups and all that. But what was all the prep work before? And then if that was in a place where you have trust and confidence that y'all can navigate tough situations through honesty and care, then when that moment happens after the fact, can then you put your arm around each other and go, yep, I was wrong. You were wrong. We were wrong, right? We should have done what you wanted. Tell me a little bit more about that. How'd you feel? Let's progress from that. Because in moments like that, if there had been a healthy relationship before that, that's only going to help your relationship get better because we all want to win. We all want to compete. You know, not everything's the honeymoon, right? Especially in this league, you got to be able to push each other, you know, because to get to the top, you got to push each other. All right, coach. Our last start subset for you has to do with the ball handler scoring in the pick and roll. So as you've mentioned, you coach John Morant. So ways you would think about, let's say, getting John Morant on the rim or at the rim in the pick and roll. Start sub or sit with the first one being the most likely. Proper screening slash screening angles by the big man. Mismatch hunting, bringing in a weaker defender into the pick and roll or manipulating space or the help, clearing the nail, creating a gap around the pick and roll for him. That's a hard one. And I love that thought process too, because where are your priorities, you know, like what's the first and foremost, most important thing? You know, I think naturally hunting the mismatches is one. I'm, I'm not a huge mismatch coach, but when you've got a star player like John Morant, I'm probably sitting that one saying we've got to put the weakest defender in there because naturally knowing his playmaking ability, he's going to create an advantage through that mismatch. And then we'll get to the spacing where I, you know, start or sub that one that's inherently going to create his playmaking ability for him to score, get to the rim or playmaking kick out. I would sit that one. Oof, this next one, I'm probably going to start the spacing. I think that's the last thing that obviously we're going to highly emphasize that, you know, where if it's a five screen, where the one, you know, the two, three and four, if it's a small, small pick and roll, where are we put in the five strong side, weak side, dunker, all those kinds of things. But the probably the next one outside of the sit, the sub that I'm probably going to need to emphasize is the screening angles because how are we going to really get him downhill? You know, because you got to account for the different defenses. So it's at first who you bring up to the screen, but then the next one is are they going to be switching it? Are they going to be blitzing it? Are they going to be hedging it? Are they going to be downing it? Are they going to be playing a soft two on two? Knowing that, uh, it's going to impact the screening angle for sure because with us having one of the best downhill attack players in the league, we need to get downhill. We want him to get downhill the threat of downhill, and then his ability now to shoot the three off the dribble. Well, if they end up going under, we still have that ability to knock it down from the outside. So we, we have the inside and outside game. But to the question about really getting downhill, it's going to be the screening angle. And that's 
huge for us, you know, moving forward that we screen with our five a lot. How do we get better with our twos, threes, and fours screening? Screening angles for sure is big because as much as I'm going to go back to the playmaking, he's going to get downhill. If you've got a great screening angle to get that downhill attack, now your screening angle is going to put you in a position, irregardless of two-on-two coverage, they're switching, they're hedging, they're blitzing. Now we're creating a two-on-one. And then the start is the spacing behind that. Is it triple side, solo side, flat? you know, one, four, you know, or, you know, bring two up, you got three on the baseline. That would be kind of my progression for sure. And when you've got one of the most lethal threats in the game with the ball in his hands, that'd probably be my thought process on who you're bringing up, how we're screening angling and getting out of that screen and then spacing behind it to make sure we've got the score and pass options. Coach, my follow-up it has to do with the screening angles. I guess when teams are going to want to hedge or blitz or try to get the ball out of John Moran's hand. I know he's a willing passer and like you said, hit the short one will get off of it. But when there's times where maybe that's not working or it's not really flowing well and you need him to get into the paint, what's the angle and maybe what are you telling him to beat the hedge? I think there's two avenues to that. There's the strategy with the ball in the hand and the strategy without the ball in his hands. With as much as the ball's gonna be in his hands, it's easy to lock in on him, you know, physicality on the ball, you know, that on ball defender, the bringing the second player up there, naturally bringing a second defender into the play. And then you're trusting that that ball movement or that big slipping out, you know, and then the spacing behind it's giving him the outlets to play to, you know, if it's in his hands, we're stressing a lot of, you know, rejects, the threat of using the screen and going against it. He's got the natural handling and speed ability to do that. The screening angles themselves, you know, are we flipping screening angles? Are we pinning down? Are we screening our screener to get in the action to loosen up the defense? So it's not as aggressive on the ball. That's stuff that we, you know, added more as the playoffs went on last year. You know, Minnesota was heavy blitzing against him. And then it's getting off the ball. Is it using our motion-based offense where naturally, how are you going to get a team to guard one action, you know, a double wide screen, you know, it's a kick ahead to a cut through to a backside DHO or something like that. They're going to have to guard one, two, three actions before the ball finds its way back into Jaws' hands. Now you're not as in tune in oh, wow, we're blitzing. Are we blitzing Dez? Are we blitzing DB? Are we blitzing everybody? But then Ja gets it with open space and now he's even more lethal. So it's definitely a balance. So we definitely have to have a game plan for Ja to be able to attack it one-on-one, but also bringing the screener up there by manipulating the screening entries, but also the type of screening angles to kind of screw with the defense's you know aggressiveness. They think they're coming up left and then you switch it to the right. And then the last one is just getting them off the ball and trusting. You know That's why we trust multiple playmakers to make plays his willingness to shoot off the ball. But then when the ball finds him, he's in attack mode with maybe a less aggressive defense later in the possession. Coach, I'd love to just ask you if you could explain or talk a little bit more about you sat and mismatch hunting. And within it, you kind of mentioned you weren't overly a mismatch hunting coach. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that philosophy. That was a growth area for me last year is when we know we've got one of the most lethal attack players in the game and one of the best playmakers in the game. We want to create as many advantages as possible. He's going to do it one-on-one. When we get in the half court, our pick and roll game has been highly successful. Steven Adams with his screener assist. You got BC, you know, as a lob threat, you know, it's always collapsing the defense. So, you know, you just naturally watch the rest of the league and you see how best players are creating advantages and being able to put, you know, a so-called lesser priority defender. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, but you got probably their best defender on jaw. How do we get that player off of them? You know, this is an avenue to do that. It's through screen setting. But, you know, what we noticed is as much as you're going to go the mismatch route, they're going to find ways to stop it. You know, it's not just because you bring up a player that you've solved the riddle. 
you know, they were switching at first. Well, now we're not switching. Now we're going to send him to his opposite hand, his, you know, not as strong hand, or now we're going to send a change up our coverages, or you know what, now we're going to change the defender that's in there by pre-switching. Like all that stuff came into play. And as much as I love that chess match, it gets to a point where it's like, we just got to play basketball. Like what is our strength as a team? We move the ball. We fly around. We're random. The defense doesn't even know what we're doing. There's a time and place for that because, whoa, 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 that Ramos isn't working and we need Ja to go create for himself or for others. Well, we got to slow down. We got to tackle it, figure this out. That's the beauty of the playoffs. That reveals so much for you. What are your strengths? What are your errors for improvement that they're going to attack? And then the chess match from game to game. Well, we tried that and it worked, but what do you think they're going to do next game? If they haven't adjusted how they're going to pre-switch or change their coverage, we've got to give our guys a game plan so that, oh, first quarter, we notice they're doing this. When we had that first time out, boom, boom, boom. This is our spacing adjustment. This is our screening adjustment. This is how we start the possession differently, maybe, so that we can get that mismatch because we need that type of offense. But as you can see with the Grizzlies, we get stops and we run and we fly up the floor. We drive, we kick, we move. And we need that because you need that rhythm. And we don't want it to slow us down. But there's definitely that right balance. You know, I watch football all the time. You know, are you slinging around 80 times a game? Not necessarily, but are you dropping off screen passes? Are you? hand the ball off or you run in little quick sweeps or whatever to just diversify your offense. And that was an area for us to grow, understanding Jaws growth. How do we challenge ourselves to be better in that department while not sacrificing what our also strength is and having that ability to attack from a lot of different ways. Again, I just keep telling these guys, it just makes you harder to guard and less predictable. Coach, you've brought up watching football a couple of times today. And I know in your past too, you, you're a multi-sport athlete. You're involved in a lot of different stuff. I just wonder when you're trying to learn or think about the game, how much you look at maybe other sports, other industries to get ideas on whatever it is, leadership or strategy or whatever it is that would maybe help you as a coach and a leader. It's been great ever since I became a coach. My viewership of sports as a fan has kind of changed a little bit. You know, I still have my favorite teams that maybe I'm more of a fan for, but I always find myself watching games with a coach's lens. Doesn't matter if it's baseball, doesn't matter if it's football soccer from a spacing standpoint, baseball from a matchup standpoint. There's just little things you can get, little cues that, yes, it's a completely different sport, but I'm big into the game strategy. Football, timeouts, right? That's one of the most magnified things at the end of the game. When do you use your timeouts? How do you manage field position? Things like that. I always try to get in the head of a coach and understand what are the decisions that they have to make. They may be completely different than what our sport has to do, but am I training myself to be thinking about that throughout the game? What pivotal moments throughout the game do I have to manage? Let me make sure, okay, end of quarters, end of halftime, bonus situations, end of game, two timeouts, challenge, no challenge. Like I'm thinking about that. And then probably one of my greatest joys of learning from other sports is just organizationally, you know, how do they build their culture? You know, what do head coaches try to accomplish every single day outside of the tactical stuff? What kind of environment are they trying to create? One of my first ones was Pete Carroll, you know, when he was at USC and then went to Seattle. And just try to, you know, blare DJ music and create a fun atmosphere and all that stuff, right? He's an older coach with these younger players that, you know, end up, you know, going to the Super Bowl twice. You know, how is he changing a culture there? The Chicago Cubs, I think it was Joe Madden, right? Like every road trip, they're dressing up after every game, they're celebrating like it's the championship in their locker room. Like what makes sense for our team? We're not doing all those things, but I'm constantly trying to seek out other ways to enhance my coaching style, not just from the tactics and game strategies. But just the everyday, I mean, we live together and kind of work together more than we actually play the games, right? There's so many more practices, travel days, you're on the planes, you're going to restaurants, you're in the locker room. 
there's only 48 minutes of a game. There's so much other that goes on behind it. So really trying to understand not just for our players, but for myself and our staff, how do we create this environment where everyone comes with a smile on their face, ready to work. They're happy to work here. They're growing, they're getting better. You know, that's on my mind. So that's what I try to pick up from other teams and other sports. Really well said. You're off the start, sub, or sit, hot seat. Thanks for playing. Right. <laughs> I hope I passed. I don't know. Yeah. Y'all can beat that one up. You know, I should have done this. Should have done that. No, so. Flying colors. Yeah. Coach, we got one last question for you before we close. Before we do, thank you very much for all your thoughts and your time. This was really fun today. Yeah, tons of fun. I appreciate it. And I love talking shop, you know, and I love this because you help me grow as a coach. You truly do because it helps me, as I just said a moment ago, just think about all the things I believe in. And trying to always be open-minded. Oh, I should probably think about that a little bit differently. Or no, that's what I believe in. And you know, I'm, I'm passionate about that. But always trying to think. And you know, y'all are students of the game just like me. So this was a lot of fun. Coach, our last question for you. What's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? Hands down, my family. Most important thing to me. My office, you can't see it right now. I'm littered with family photos. The motto that I live by is if I'm the best dad and husband I can be every single day, I'm going to be the best coach. And if I'm the best coach I can be every single day, then I'm going to be the best husband and dad. This life of being a basketball coach, you're away from your family a lot. You've got your basketball family you're spending a lot of time with. You know, the relationships I talk about a lot, you know, the strength of my relationship with my wife and my four amazing kids. I'm a teacher at home. I'm a dad, you know, and I'm a teacher as a basketball coach. And I'm always trying to impart wisdom and guidance and learn from them and support them and care for them. So, Spending time with my family keeps me humble, keeps me grounded, keeps me focused on what is my role in life is to help others grow. So if I can take that and apply that here in a work environment that I would like to be more than a work environment, you know, I always talk about it's a life journey. I'm sharing my life journey with my family. I'm sharing my life journey with my colleagues here, staff and players. So if I can take on the mentality and be the same in both, that's huge. So hopefully it's an equal investment. You know, I give that care and love, but it all starts with my family. Make them the priority and then the rest will fall into a great place for me and have that great balance. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Those are all <laughs> slapping glass.